Welcome to the Nerd Tutorial Podcast, a podcast offering discussions and tutorials are nerdy subjects for people who aren't necessarily nerdy themselves. With you today, myself, is your nerdy tutor, George, and with me here today, the, ma- the maven of bikes, my mom. Hey. It's too cold to bike outside right now, though. It, well, okay, yeah, it is still a little little nippy. I might bike in the afternoon, but, uh, but yeah, it's a high of cold. 54 today. Yeah. And it's, m- it's March. late March. It doesn't feel right. It's not right. Yeah. Alrighty, so we talked a lot about Vision last week. We who did. was a robot of sorts. Well, okay, okay but is he, is he really? Because he's quite sentient. And, and even from his first, his first interaction with, with Wanda, he's, he's, he feels. Oh, yeah. No, no. And he feels. He, and he was not unlike that when he was in, first introduced in Age of Ultron as well. When he was introduced in Age of Ultron, he was very much of a um, feeling sort of mood. It's kind of empathetic. You know, they have this great back and forth between uh, Ultron and Vision at the very end of the series, at the very end of the movie here, where, you know, Vision's basically kind of like, um, how, how did he phrase it here? It's like, you know, you're so naive. And it's like, well, I was born yesterday. <laughs> great line. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, when when you propose this topic, I, I have to say one of the first things that came to my mind was was the movie AI, which I've always found kind of haunting. Yes, it's. It, I mean, it asks a question that we're going to have to answer probably in your lifetime. Hopefully, in my lifetime. Yeah. So, so we're talking about robots. Yeah. And we want to talk about the robot. You know, how do we define a robot first? So again, most robots are any sort of mechanical device that does something for you, either autonomously or on its own. Now. You might want to say your coffee maker is a robot, but we don't typically think of it that way. Um, so, I mean, in, mo- in again, Wikipedia describes it as a robot. A robot is a machine, especially one programmable by a computer, capable of carrying out complex series of actions automatically. When most of us think of robots, though, I mean, are, are, well, okay, my generation, we're thinking about the robot in Lost in Space. Um, which was, I think, B9, I want to say. I still remember him vividly. Oh yeah, no. Again, it's it's a it's a haunting vision of what a robot really does look like because that's you know what we all thought robots, robots would, would look, look like. like. Yeah, yeah, and and I think less of I I remember um, cognizantly thinking when I saw Star Star Wars that that it was such a good depiction of a robot as a character who had sincere. Um, Attachment, mm-hmm. um, certainly uh, C-3PO. Oh, yeah, C-3PO and R2-D2 have this, like, familiar sort of bond with them at the end of the day. But they're robots, and you're like, well, that's that's heartwarming and it's beautiful, but, like, how do they get to that particular point? Because they, they offer quite a bit of uh, sentience at the at the end of the day here. I mean, like, they very much are under the understanding, like, Yes, I am a droid, or in this case, a robot here, and but I have allegiance. But but like I have allegiance to other people, and I have to protect my master. But I could be snarky with them, and you know I can have my own differing opinions. Well, and I, Mandal- my- Mandalorian is probably the best example of that. Mm-hmm. Because you, I mean, there you have you have a nurse 
and yeah, you have this basically what was his assassination hunter series droid that yeah, you know that again I always found that design very interesting because it's basically like a stick with some like rotator arms on it yeah, and it's very minimal, very minimalistic design which would make sense for a robot, um, but at the end of the day here like it gets reprogrammed to be a quote unquote nurse droid. And has a complete change in personality as a result, which is something we'll get to. Yeah. So, so, so for my generation, robots were something that were going to take away jobs, um, and that was a big concern during the '60s and '70s. Is if we continue to uh, have automation, have automation, and and it was extremely um, concerning in the auto industry. Mm-hmm. For I think obvious reasons, uh, you know, prior to to things being automated, and auto industry to some extent almost always was. Yes. But as things became more automated, it, it cost people jobs, um, and and that was huge. So to see over time how robots, our our idea of robots changed. You know, for us we had Danger Will Robinson, Danger Will Robinson from from Lost in Space, and. That robot had no personality, and and even though he was tasked with with uh, taking care of people, well, yeah, it wasn't there it wasn't was, there wasn't any sort of thing there that there wasn't actually... a, a a feeling relationship, and then see it evolve into um, Star Wars, which is ten years later, mm-hmm. ten fifteen years less than fifteen, so um, you know ten ten or so years later. Um, with with what that relationship is, and how comfortable that relationship is shown to be, mm-hmm. um, and to think about how we projected robots would be, and there you go to uh, Space Thousand, uh, um, two thousand one, two thousand uh, Space Odyssey. Exactly, you knew where I was going, mm-hmm. um, and Dave. You got Dave. Hal nine thousand. Yeah. Um, and what we th- what we thought where we thought we'd be mm-hmm. now, and to know that my experience with robots is, are the ones that we hire to patrol parking lots. They look like phone booths. No, ours actually look like um, uh, like a triangular, almost egg shaped thing on wheels. I it, which to me is kind of funny because it's like. And they patrol the parking lots, and when we use where where we use them are parking garages because we've had a tremendous number of smash and grabs through mm-hmm. windows, and um, and all they occasionally get hit. They they take a take a, a, a looking and keep on ticking. Mm-hmm. Um, they were remarkably robust, and strangely enough, um, somebody in your brother's dance group uh, works programming them. Cool. Yeah, Zoe Demersis. Um she has a master's in in uh, in yeah, electrical engineering, and uh, and she programs them. And uh, so it's interesting to me that where we saw ourselves being with robots in the '60s is we're nowhere near that. No, no, no. And even I, and even I can think going back to Tomorrowland and Disneyland, being introduced to robots at a very young age. Oh, and, true. And. Thinking to myself here, because again, I mean, part of the part of the thing here as well is that a lot of our media was telling us, you know, that like by the time we hit two, this mythical year of two thousand and ten, like all these, you know, robots are going to basically be 
helping us out in all sorts of different ways, you know, so, but obviously that is partly the case, I want to say. It's not, not the version of the future that we were told was going to happen, but it's a lot closer, I think, in some levels here. Well, and robots are different than what we thought they'd be. Um, Dick Tracy had famously a wrist phone. Yes. Okay, we now have wrist phones. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Dick Tracy had them back in the 50s. So we were a little late late coming on it. Um, I mean, even, even Get Smart had a shoe phone. Um, but the thing is, my phone knows what I want to order at Starbucks. I can just literally tell Siri, is this part of your discussion here? He's looking at notes. Oh, no, I was... Um no, no, keep going. Okay, so so my phone can tell me what I'm going to order at Starbucks, and I can just tell it, "Hey Siri, uh, please please place this order." Um, I can in our house, as you know, we are we are Googled up, mm-hmm. um, and um, the door tells me that when when certain people are here and and they have nicknames. All the family members have nicknames. What is my nickname? Oh, you're yeah. Um, no, you you are you are a sweetheart. Um, okay. Lila is, is Von Cupcake. Von Cupcake. Von okay. Cupcake. Um, because Van Gogh. Von, mm-hmm. Van, Von okay. Cupcake. Um, so various people have um, have nicknames, and our door knows who you are. And um, I can I wake up in the morning, and go, hey Google, what's the temperature? Um, I can speak to this this thing that is very much of sorts the the house robot that we did envision mm-hmm. so you know our 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 uh, light at our entryway door all those things are googled up and and for my generation here again like i i think you know from a very young age i fell in love with star trek yeah like I'd, and again like those little pads that they have walking around with them they're basically like notepads with little screens on them that they do everything on right we have that i have that literally with that same format oh that's font. cute that's that's well done so it's the this is the l cars um operating system for um for literally my surface at the end of the day that i can set it up so i can actually make my surface uh laptop notepad here look exactly like the Elkar system, like, look exactly like one of the little data pads from Star Trek. I mean, like, we, we're getting pretty darn close. We are. Well, and, my, and you know, I mean, we're back to my phone knows which Starbucks I order from on which days. Mm-hmm. Um, because it knows if I'm going to work, then I, I order from one on my way to work. So, and if, I, if I'm coming here on the way here, it knows that I'm going to use the one next to my house. Oh, yeah, no. My, so, my phone does the same thing, too. I tell my phone, like, Hey, like, what is you know? I can ask. I can ask my Google here all all sorts of stuff here, and it will you know start queuing it up and based off of my previous experience here. Right. Yeah. And so they're very good at learning here at the end of the day. These robots. My my. Yep. Yeah. And my phone tells me how long it's going to take me to get to work because it knows that in mm-hmm. this hour of the day on this day of the week I'm probably headed to work, or if I'm headed to church, or if I'm headed to wherever it knows. Um, so in some ways. We've exceeded what we envisioned. In a lot of other ways, it's not. You know, Roomba doesn't doesn't isn't a housemate. Well, I mean, it'd be. I want a Jetson's housemate. 
I really do want Rosie at the end of the day. Yeah. I, I, I'm very curious. I've, I've heard of people trying to make prop Rosies as well, which I think is absolutely hilarious. I would. That is cute. I think it would be very funny. Um, but no, yeah, again, I mean, like, it, I wonder, though, if your Roomba really was going to be talking to you at the end of the day, you know, like, is it trying to tell you, like, this area is a lot dirtier than it was last week? Well, I feel sorry for Roomba because it cut a lot of fabric and... and it uh, eats a lot of it. And, we, and it ends up with a lot of threads. Yeah. Threads and lint and mm-hmm. stuff. I know, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, in our modern day society, we have robots pretty much everywhere. Again, like we said, in our home, we've got our Roombas, you know, essentially, which I think is probably the most robotic sort of thing we have in our houses. Not a lot of, you know, armatures or other things like that in there. I mean, unless you've got like a 3D printer. That's a robot at the end of the day. I love, I love, I don't know what I'd do with it, but I know I'd have fun. Oh, no, same here. I mean, like, I, I would love. How much are they? They range, They so they range anywhere from, like, the 400 to, like, $1,000 range, depending on the bed size primarily. So And then and then how how affordable is the, uh, the, the software for it? Not the, well, the soft, yeah, you've got the software you for it. You've got the software for it, and then you've also got to get the, plastic bead thread for it as well yeah that, that's what i was wondering about mm. how, how expensive are the materials i want to say every spool is anywhere from like 25 to 30 bucks i want to say and depending on how much it comes with again and every machine will take slightly different cartridges i guess at the well end of the yeah day. it's proprietary much like having an hp printer mm-hmm. yeah which I, I absolutely hate printers at this point no 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 one cartridge fits any of them here like if they could just all agree to the same printer cartridge size. Standard, yeah. Well, okay. So, so you go back to Hoover, who standardized so many things. They mm-hmm. standardized back in the twenties, and he's. A, if anybody's ever interested in that kind of stuff, he really um, was a horrible president, but was amazing as as the head of commerce um, and standardized all sorts of things, like the size of a milk bottle. Um, so, a lot of our rules of standardization. We owe to Herbert Hoover. Well, and, and even back in the day, I remember reading in my textbooks back in the day of um, there was a guy who basically with his rifle, who if you if your rifle broke back in the eighteen you know back in the eighteen hundreds here, you had to go back to the original manufacturer to get it fixed because you know, and most of the time those that original manufacturer was a blacksmith in whatever town you started in. Yeah. Because um, nobody else, you know, made the same parts in the same way here, and so they weren't were interchangeable. Nope. And yep. uh, basically, this guy got a meeting with um, either Abraham Lincoln or somebody from the military, and basically said, you know, I'm going to take these six rifles here. I'm going to. They were made by different people, mm-hmm. and I'm going to shoot them all so they all work. And now I'm going to interchange the parts in between them, and they all work again. And the idea there was that standardizing parts would make it so that everybody worked off the same set of materials at the end of the day, or, or at least in some sense here, and you could change out screws and other stuff like that to fit your needs. And again, part of the standardization sort of, you know, consistency metrics that kind of ended up coming around that. Well, and Hoover's big contribution was he standardized the, the light bulb. Mm-hmm. So, the, so the, the light bulb fit uniformly in, any, in anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so because back in the day, that would have been a thing. So, so we're talking about standardizing uh, 
robots here? Because I mean, at some point, that that's going to be an issue. Well, there'll be rules that come around robots here, but yeah. we've got um, some other modern-day robots that we have here. We have uh, hospitals in there. Uh, they have some robots there which have uh, sort of a hospitality for service. Oh. And so, I, so, again, I know in some hotels they've tested out robots that deliver your um, in-room dining or uh, or deliver housekeeping items for you. Um, and so that would be useful. So it, it would be useful, but it'd be weird. So like you, so like if you order a blanket, a you robot. You don't have com- to tip it. Well, there's a lot of people that do <laughs> tip it. Really? How do you tip a robot? Over. Oh, well, thank you. So <laughs> now there are some, there are some people hotel- do that in with the parking lot robots, by I the know, way. I know I did. They're and, heavy. And, and, They're and, really heavy. And that actually will come to a later discussion that we'll have here as okay. well regarding that, because that's actually an interesting topic. Um, but no, there's some hotels where the in-room dining gets served from a robot, and when you're done, it'll it'll you open up the door and it'll show itself out and take the food back, uh, take the tray back down to in-room dining. There's ones that deliver pillows and blankets, and then there's some that actually follow the housekeeper. So the housekeeper, um, when it gets to the next room that the housekeeper needs to clean, it'll have collected new sheets and towels and pillows for that room as well as the cleaning supplies for it and the housekeeper will take those so they cart- so don't have nearly as big of a carts when they're moving from room to room here that the robot just kind of arrives there ready with the stuff ready to go when you need it okay so so we are getting to the point where where robots are not taking jobs but they're assisting in jobs they're assisting in jobs mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, and then besides that, in hospitals, you've got um, some, uh, you know, surgery-based robots here as well, which can be far more minimally invasive because they don't have to, you know, you don't need an entire hand to root around in there. You just need, like, a little, like, little itty-bitty... Are you talking about laparoscopic? Yes. Well, not just that. I mean, there's there's full robots that that you can do whole surgeries with. Uh, with the intention that you that there's a doctor manipulating the arms and everything to get inside there. So when you have laser surgery, that's what's done. Mm-hmm. You do cyber knives and things like that. Yeah. So and and again, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Um, like if you needed your appendix taken out, you don't need to do like a big old incision. In some cases, you can do a much smaller incision because you get these little robot hands that can kind of go in there and bend around to get to where you need to get to. Mine, mine was mine was done that way. I have um, two little one-inch incisions. Yeah. And that's how they took out my appendix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and again, they're getting more interesting. You've got um, uh, food service industry where there's literally for, there's, I think what we would consider two different models. There is one that actually is like cleaning the plates and stuff. Uh-huh. So there's an actual like robot that actually goes through the process of cleaning dishware and plates and everything like that. And then there's some places that have full-on robots that actually do the service. So you have uh, robots that are actually with arms that are like, I want this kind of an ice cream cone. And it's literally scooping out the ice cream and putting all the stuff on it. Um, my favorite example is in Japan. They have a conveyor belt system for sushi. Yeah. But there's a little train that'll kind of, if you order special to sushi, there's a train that'll come by and deliver the special, the sushi that you ordered, you take it off and then it leaves afterwards. It's like a type of robot. Uh, We've got farming, because again, I mean, like, clearly there's some, there's a lot of level of automation for not needing to have somebody in a a tractor necessarily the entire day, or maybe just have one person overseeing 
a couple dozen tra tractors that are doing all sorts of. I'm aware of this because because I actually deal with farming. And if you look at newer equipment, it, it can be um, set up on a, on a specific, what we call spud ditch depth mm -hmm. or width, um, so that you can um, harvest. Uh, and you set it, you set it on rows and you, and, and you, you have like, um, almost like electronic fencing that tells it where, where to, where mm -hmm. to turn. I don't, and, and really the interesting thing about it in the farming industry is so much of farming in the United States anyway, is still family farms and family farms because it employs family, mm -hmm. um, are not going to move on to that. Not, well. Plus, I, the, plus I, the the dollar amount to get in is still really high. I, I would I would wager the dollar amount to get into that is actually very high. I actually think that family farms will be the first to adopt this actually. Because it's less staff intensive. Partly because it's less staff intensive, but there's a lot of people that are moving away from wanting to be a farmer. Because your children don't want to go into the industry. Maybe your children don't want to go into the industry necessarily, or. In a lot of cases here, again, with family farms, you have to have a large group of people to have a family farm, you know, depending on the size of your farm. I mean, like, do you have... It depends on whether it's a crop that needs to be picked. If you're talking True. about row crops, most row crops, or a lot of row crops, um, don't require a heavy number of people. We run we run 1,500 acres of, of corn with the staff of basically three, four yeah, uh, but again, I mean, like if you're running, you know, if you're running like a dairy farm as an example, or you, you know, you got to have a lot of people there. Yeah, you might well, want. But dairy farms are largely automated. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. Again, so I, I wager that there's a lot of people out there where they may not want to be in the in the in a farm industry, and would see you know robots as an option to either a continue to have the farm but take on a different role at the end of the day or have the you know have robots in there to take over the for the fact that maybe you don't have you know maybe you know maybe you have like four kids and three of the kids want to go do other stuff other than farming or yeah. or how do you you know if you have three if you have four kids and how do each one of them take ownership of the farm who's yeah. the person in charge of the farm at the end of the day if you're only ever going to leave it to one person potentially yeah so i mean i think automation will will on farms is going to be, and I would think family farms would be, you know, once the entry to barrier to entry is reduced significantly enough, yeah, I think there's plenty of options there to do that at the end of the day. It'll be it'll be interesting because um, they tend to be more conservative. Farmers on the large on the whole tend to be more conservative, from my personal experience. Yes, they don't need things to change. They don't want things to change. It, it would change. Yeah, they, they change resistant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, obviously, we've got warehouses and factories. Now, obviously, we've talked about yeah. automation in car factories. But again, I mean, from my um, South American rainforest uh, warehouses, yeah. um, not just in our fulfillment centers, because um, they've got robots in there that will help put together orders and then go send it over to um, the packing people to literally put it together. Yeah. Um, but... I have seen videos of it as a as a my version of the warehouse for the delivery side as well, where you've got robots putting together whole shipments and everything, which is really bizarre and cool. Yeah, um, I'm really actually hopeful because we're launching some new sites in the San Jose Bay Area here soon, and I really hope one of those is a uh, robot site or an AR robot site at the end of the day, because I think you know robots in Silicon Valley. I mean, like, come on, let's do that. 
Well, and well, and and you know the the to take that full circle, you also have uh, self-driving trucks and self-driving I mean, cars as well on the road. Self-driving, yeah. I mean, so Waymo um, actually looked at one of our buildings um, as a location, um, and they are they are uh, on the edge of, of Palo Alto, uh, South Palo Alto, and um, and to watch them um, and and. Uh, see those vehicles i mean that is that is the coming age the coming age will be that you won't own a car you'll you'll there'll be it'll be a phone app like uber and you'll call the car and the car will come yeah and and it'll drive you there'll be like a base collection of where (laughs) these um mobile vehicles will be at and then you just kind of plop into one whenever you need to go to somewhere and it'll pick you up drop you off and then move on to the next person who needs their services at the end of the day? Well, and you know where you see the world preparing for this? Japan. No, 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 no. 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 Okay. In the United States, you can see the world preparing for this. As we're designing parking garages now, mm-hmm. um, we are designing, you know, maybe two floors underground, three floors underground, and two floors above ground with the idea that the, the parking that's above ground has collapsible um, ramps, ramps that we could easily take down. Okay. Okay. Ramps that that could easily be removed to convert that space to office. And what you'll see is a standard a standard parking lot is fourteen feet floor to ceiling. Okay. But a standard office is actually usually fifteen to sixteen because there's a lot above the ceiling. Lights, air conditioning, venting, ducting, all those wires. things. Exactly. Yeah. All those things. So you need about four feet above the ceiling to deal with that. So what you'll see if you were to look at a set of design drawings you'd you'd notice that the parking garage is higher where it's above ground and but that, lower when it's underground right so that okay. so that the above ground when you need less parking for a, a high-rise building the above ground can be converted to office so mm-hmm. we're already designing for that the last the, the the buildings that we've designed in the last um three years anyway um, the buildings that that uh, the one that's being built at 200 Park, the one that's being built next to us on on San Fernando, um, both our designs um, have have that taken into account. That um, the above ground parking, so we balanced the parking need per today's ratios, but placed uh, what we think might be expendable later above ground. Mm. Okay. To turn that into office. Space. To turn that into office because nobody nobody wants to rent an office that's underground. Even if you didn't have a window office, you don't want to be in an office you know is underground. It's uncomfortable for people. Yes. So, um, so we've balanced that because it's expensive to build underground. You have to build what we refer to as a bathtub. Yes. Um, and uh, and made that that convertible space. Nice. So so we're already designing for it. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Um, again, and I know in my sites here again, these the robots here are interesting because again, they they do not care if you get in their way because a robot going to robot. They 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 they're not annoyed. I, there are sensors and stuff built into it so that if there is a human on the floor where robots are typically moving through, uh-huh. that they will. Um, Avoid moving in that path. Well, because they would be able to sense the body heat, I would think. Actually, the, um, there's a camera system above it that tracks where all the infrared IDs are. 
Okay. And there might, and so the idea being is that a human um, has an ID on them. Would have an ID on them, and so that way the robots would know. Okay, this is a human. You know, like we don't, we, you know, we we avoid everybody and we program around that. Okay. Um, That's pretty smart. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And then I think the obviously the other one that we get a lot of here um, when we could think of robots here is also uh, the military. Which is, which is an interesting aspect at the end of the day for the military. Again, you have uh, not just like drones that fly overhead and take out, you know, insurgencies and other things at the end of the day, but you have bomb disposable robots, you know, going into places where, you know, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people who carry around these little rover robots that you just throw through windows because you can kind of go in and you can see, you can maneuver around inside of a, of a room there and kind of give you... Uh, the layout. Uh, the layout, or at least give you the understanding of there's threats here, here, and here inside the room here. Um, and it's very much intended to just be like, chuck it into, you know, through a window or and into a, into a building here to be able to, to look through it. And somebody else, you know, just kind of maneuvers it um, switch style through through that labyrinth to figure out of a, of a building to say, like, there are threats here, 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 and uh, somewhere around the corner. When, and, and again, when it comes to the military aspect here, there's a lot of people that are concerned about that because there is a um, growing concern about do does the military hardware make us more prone to being aggressive because we know nobody's... Um, we know there's not loss of life involved. Yeah, or well, not so much not a, lo- a loss of life involved, but that there is... Um, it's not us in the harm's way at the end of the day. So we're far more likely to make, you know, you know, so we're far, we're far, we're far more likely to make more rash decisions, I think, because again, I mean, like, it's not like we're in the way of all versus if you were physically there, you might be a little bit more cautious because you wouldn't want to, um, you know, put yourself in the harm's way. So more risk-taking, I guess, is the, is the better question. Um, and there's also, again, a question of e- efficacy at the end of the day here as well. I mean, like, you know, how, you know, are you more likely to be more ruthless if you know you're not the one there doing the work? You know, like, you know, does being removed from it at the end of the day make you, you know, less sympathetic for what's going on or less, because uh, again, I mean, like, if you're viewing everything from a camera lens at the end of the day, you don't have the full 360 scope of what's happening. You have a very narrow view, vision at the end of the day. And if you only have a very narrow window of vision um, to see what's going on, do you fully understand the full picture when you go to execute or do something at the end of the day? Because you don't see, you know, and, and again, I'm thinking in a very close quarter sort of thing, but even from a drone perspective here, I mean, like, are you more likely to do something versus if you know people are in the building or not quite so readily, if you would, on 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 foot maybe? Well, and that, and that's always you know that's always an interesting question, I and mean, it's it's the same 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 question regarding a lot of technologies. When you when you get to like uh, weaponry, mm-hmm. I think it's always a, a question of yes, you have this new weapon, but what moral gateways does it either open. Imp- impede on or, or yeah. hinder in that particular case. Yeah, having the more powerful weapon. I mean, you go all the way back to the Civil War with the Gatling gun. Mm-hmm. Having the more powerful weapon makes war deadlier. Does it, you know, do you justify, much like Truman, do you justify doing something that, that kills a, a, a 
huge number of people with the idea that in the end it actually saves more lives by uh, reducing the reducing the length of the war. Yes. So you end it. I mean, and and that's the detergent element of it here. I mean, that's, yeah. that's kind of where our nukes fall into in that particular point. With the idea being here that we have nukes. If you do something to us, we'll nuke you right back. You know, so they're deterrents, but I mean, like. Your mutual deterrence. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think I think it's always true that technology opens up a sort of Pandora's box. Because without, I mean, you have you have all sorts of, of gene technologies now. I mean, the, there's a whole conversation in, in bioethics because you have all these gene technologies now that open up the ability to have designer babies. And while they might eliminate certain defects or certain um, diseases mm-hmm. who will be able to afford them who will they be made available to well, who, who do you afford them to and then how far do you go in manipulating somebody I mean do you give a person six fingers so they can play the piano or musical instruments a lot you know easier or do oh you... that's an interesting one I've never I, I never considered that so, it, so... I, I look at it from do you, does it mean that um, people who are uh, educated and and have the financial ability to educate their children turn around and um, I, I was going to use buy and that's the wrong word procreate uh manipulated genes that provide uh, exceptional children. Do you make a children that are less likely to, uh, you know, to accumulate fat, you know, from diabetes? Do you, do you eliminate heart problems? Do you eliminate, but, do, you, but, do you make, do you make your child have blue eyes and blonde hair? Do you make the child? I think it goes beyond blue eyes and blonde hair though. I think it, I think it goes into, do you create an exceptional child intellectually mm-hmm. um and and then and then perpetuate a, a sort of have and have nots by by creating people who are disproportionately except exceptional so to both of those arguments here the first one i the first one where i get the idea of the six fingers from uh-huh. is from a movie called gattaca <laughs> yeah which is great for me because uh my alma mater cal poly pomona is the physical setting for the apartments there you go. So that's those. So there's that. So and then you have a connection. So there's that there, and then. So again, I mean, the idea of you know, it, in the story of Gattaca, the lead hero here of Ethan Hunt actually is a baby who's not mod, you know, not modified, whereas his brother is modified, and the parents dote on the on the younger son more than they do on the older son, and as a result, the younger son, the older son, is kind of you know, push to the side because it's like, well, you guys... You're not special. You're not special, or rather, like, we didn't decide to do you special, and as a result, you know, like, you're not as good as other people. And it literally is the point of Ethan Hunt, Ethan Hunt trying to go through the through the world of these, you know, you know, like, he can't get, a, he can't get other jobs because he's not um, special at the end of the day, so he doesn't have whatever genes that allow him... Yeah. Basically, it's a form of racism at that point. You know, like you're not well endowed, so you can't be a part of this world. 
Yeah. So, so I think there are ethical there are ethical questions we're going to have to deal with, and mm-hmm. and even once we've dealt with them, um, there'll always be a black market. Yes. That goes around it. So, so and I think that's true of of AI as well. I mean, who is who is it available to now? I have Google in my home, but but there are people who who don't can't afford it. There are. There are interesting questions being asked simply by the pandemic because there are kids who don't have access to internet. Mm-hmm. Famously, there are a number of, of fast food restaurants in the Midwest who have have created children, that have children that are just kind of hanging out by their buildings because they don't have. And internet some of them have home. invited them in and mm-hmm. allowed them and become sort of of you know classrooms. Oh, yeah, and- homework. You know, homework rooms. Um, where it's one kid per table, that's how they're socially distanced, and mm-hmm. and their their um, seating area has been allowed to be used for for internet learning. Um, and so we've already we're already seeing a very real uh, enactment of haves and have have nots mm-hmm. with technology. Absolutely. Now to our second uh, to your second point there, as far as a black market or you know, these exceptional people, you know, potentially wanting to rise up against us because they are exceptional and they realize that we are not exceptional. I'm I po- exceptional. I, I, I like to think I'm close to exceptional. <laughs> um, I point you into the direction of Star Trek, actually. Oh, okay. So in Star Trek, um, do you remember Star Trek Two by any chance? Khan. Yes, okay. yeah. So Khan in and of himself is interesting because there is a reference that at some point in the 21st century they experimented human beings experimented with gene manipulation yeah and experimented on uh experimented with themselves as far as making themselves uh smarter faster and better people at the end of the day um which created these you know what's created what they call the genet- uh, the, gen- the genetic wars the outcome eventually was is that you could not um, is that you could not use genetics to modify human beings at the end of the day. You had to leave them alone at the end of the day. Uh, and that all these people, including Khan, a number of other people, were actually um, frozen, you know, as kind of a crime for to be put in prison as a crime at the end of the day here. They were just frozen and, um, you know, pushed off to a portion of the galaxy so that they, that way they wouldn't be able to interact with ours. So that way... They weren't procreating more exceptional or... No, so much as that, like, they couldn't interfere with our corner of the galaxy anymore. Okay. So that way there wouldn't be yeah. this sort of, like... Yeah. Like, you release, like, you know, you like you release a set of deer into a new wildlife preserve so that way they don't cannibalize another preserve at all. Yeah. So, um, Khan actually is unfortunately one of those individual individuals that does get unfrozen at the end of the day. And uh, fully does believe that his race is the superior race and is trying to take everything over. Yeah. Uh, we see that in, in, you even see this in later series of episodes in um, Deep Space Nine, the character of Bashir, who is this brilliant doctor, this good looking, very handsome, almost perfect in everything doctor. Oh, well, you find out he's actually been gene manipulated as well. Um, illegally by his parents you know and they've hidden, yeah. hidden it for um, upwards of 30 of, of upwards of you know 25 30 years 25 plus years at that particular point to the much I mean like when they talk about him as a kid 
when he was like four or five years old, he was like brick dead dumb. You know, like he was not good at doing certain stuff. And then they did the gene manipulation and, and enhancements. And he, you know, he became a doctor and he became, you know, valid Victorian. He actually, he purposely says he wanted to become salutatorian because if he was valid Victorian, it might raise too much suspicions. Ooh. So. So, uh, so, so this is our future. But, you know, to bring this back to robotics, the same thing is true true of anything that could be held as an advantage yeah you know as as we get because you know i'm i'm hoping that we have rosie um, i would would love to have rosie in my house yeah especially if she's snarky too so you could program her to be snarky Mm -hmm. um i would love to have rosie as when i retire so that i don't have to clean house or rather you know like or maybe it cooks food for you as well I already have somebody who cooks food for me. Oh, that's very true. I have a very good good uh, husband chef. But you got lucky on that one. Yeah, I did. I did. I chose well. Um, but no, I mean, I think um, I think robotics uh, and and the presence of robotics is as it becomes an everyday thing. And I really do see the self driving car mm-hmm. and us not owning cars, but. Oh, I, I'm I'm hopeful of self-driving cars. And I'll miss by... the commercials because the insurance commercials are the best thing on TV these days. Well, no, no, I mean it'll eventually be one of these things like you own your own pod, you know, sort of thing. And the com- and the commercials will now be based off of you know insuring your pod, insuring your pod vehicle. I I still th- I think at a certain point here that if, when it comes to like the self-driving cars that will be. Um, that they will that eventually there'll be a phasing in of automation for them. There'll still be people that, you know, prefer to drive their own cars, but it'll have, um, but it, over a period of time of fifty plus years or so, that eventually they'll all just become you know self driving cars. Yeah. And then from there, it'll eventually get to the point where people, I think, I don't feel the need to own them so much because again, one of the benefits of the self driving cars is that. Um, they know where everybody else is and because they know where all these other cars are they can all be traveling at the same speed together and maneuver themselves around when they need to exit in and off of on ramps you know they don't need to necessarily worry about stoplights because again they know when other things are coming so they can safely travel through that they also don't need to like suddenly put on brakes to do stuff either um whereas humans you know we get we we need good buffer zones to be able to prepare for something versus if we have robots, if these self-driving cars, you know, I know, I know when I'm driving, I always keep like three to four car lengths in front of me in case the person in front of me decides they want to brake. Yeah. And I got to react to brake that robots, self-driving cars can dr- literally drive a foot away from each other and they would all come to the same stop when they need to stop. Okay. So, so, so I'm going to take this in, in, in two different places. Okay. One is that um, civil engineering is already looking at how self-driving cars change um, traffic studies yes. and the width of lanes mm-hmm. and the need for so many lanes. Mm-hmm. So the theory is that the major freeways could become actually narrower and yet have more lanes because you can place self-driving cars within a foot of each other, whereas whereas generally when we drive, there's at least three feet between Which, us. Yes. Um, at least three feet between us and another car width-wise, okay? So so the first thing is that that there are already symposiums uh, within civil engineering and discussions within um, the infrastructure community 
uh, about how we adjust for this coming reality. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it'd be great because until you go across the country uh, on uh, I-70, I-80, um, one of these major interstates that literally go from east to west, west to east, um, you don't realize that most of those lanes, most of those roads are only two lanes. And when they're doing work on them, which is during the summer, um, because during the winter, frequently there's snow. Um, when they're doing work on them, you're down to one lane. And these are major, major arteries. Arteries, And, um, and so you can end up in all sorts of backups. So um, it's an interesting discussion to have. No, no, right? absolutely. Yeah. So that, and that discussion's already being had. Um, but the other thing, the other interesting discussion about this is if you have self-driving cars, self-driving cars are going to use a logic and apply a logic, we think, that, that calculates, it's going to leave emotion out of it and it's going to calculate whether or not it makes a decision that, that allows you as one person to die to save 20 people in a bus or whether it, it takes out the 20 people on the bus to save you because it's allegiances to you. And and how would you program your car? Do you, you understand the question, right? No, no, I, yeah. it, it's so famously. Yes. So there's a great, so there's a great movie called iRobot with Will Smith in it. Mm -hmm. And one of the catalysts in the movie is that Will Smith um, doesn't like robots because a robot saved him over a little girl that unfortunately died at the end of the day. The logic of what the robot was, the, lo the robot took the logic here and said it had a 72% chance of saving Will Smith if it if it saved Will Smith versus if it tried to save the little girl and, her, and his mom, it had a 27, it had like, like a, a 27 or 28% chance of saving the kid. But then, you know, so it made, you know, it made the unfortunately cold calculation here at the end of the day is like, even though Will Smith told it, like, no, go save the kid, go save the kid, that it made the cold calculation here at the end of the day to whatever was the most benefit beneficial as far as lives saved at the end of the day. Uh, and, and, and I think when we get to, like, the self-driving cars that, like, it's all that, you know, again, that's an interesting question at the end of the day. Does a single car have an allegiance to protect you you know, never mind the fact that there's 20 people on a bus. But I also am of the impression here that, like, there won't be people on buses at a certain point either. That, that, I, that I think that certain levels of mass transit here um, will, will not exist anymore because of these other alternatives here. I think that I, I'm very, very curious for a world in which we don't have such... I mean, I, I look, you know, now, now if we have self-driving cars, for example... Mm -hmm. And we're right out in front of a very, very popular um, expressway. Expressway. There we go. That's the correct way for it here. Like, what happens to the majority of that expressway when it only needs to be one lane? Well, and 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 okay. So so I'll I'll tell you where where most most um, communities are going with this. You're absolutely right. That thing is four lanes in some places and a lot of places. Mm -hmm. Um. And uh, and and three lanes in for for most of it, um, and the discussion is really that those become green spaces, that they become community walkways, that they become uh, parking lot or become uh, playgrounds, forests, park courses, trails, those sorts of things. Although you'll have them right next to 
busy roadways. I mean, that's a that's an expressway that is bikeable, and I occasionally bike it, but it scares the crap out of me. There are section when I bike to work, I I, I bike a, another section of it. Mm-hmm. Um, his very narrow shoulders, and yeah. and I really do feel at risk. But it's the only way for me to get from A to B for a section that I go on. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now, in terms of it being um, friendly for, it doesn't even have sidewalks on much of it. No. Yeah. No. So sidewalks optional. Sidewalks optional. And I've, and I've biked on it before in some of the paths for it too. And I'm just like, every single time I've bicycled on it, I've been scared shitless because again, the cars are driving 60, you, 70 miles an hour in, in some cases. Yes. Yeah. Those reckless assholes. Yeah. So, um, so for that reason, it, it is, you know, it is, it is a lot, you know, bikes are allowed on it, but it's frightening. And so when it when it does need fewer lanes, the discussion in most communities is that you'll make, um, especially major areas like that where you have a lot of, of land that's going to be recovered, mm-hmm. but it's going to be a fairly narrow strip. It's going to be two into, lanes. You're going to turn it into green space, I guess. You're going to turn it into green space. Or maybe you turn it into some with, sort of... With bike paths and... Or and, maybe there's like a shopping sort of center along along the road there potentially. I mean, we. I mean, I think at some point, Amazon and 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 the um, epidemic have have proved to us that we don't need we don't need walk-in shopping centers. And and that was a question you had posed to me earlier that like once we you know at a certain point here, do people go back into shops? And I think that there will be a novelty at the end of the day of going back into shops, but I think it'll be more of a novelty rather than like I. I I'm would, still trying on swimsuits. Well, I think I think it is. I think certain, you know, buy them online. Well, I mean, at, at a certain point here as well, do you keep trying on swimsuits that other people have worn? They have crotch liners. Women's do. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I. It's an interesting question. I, I, th- so, I think I think there will be stores that are still necessary to have it there, but it will not surprise me if there's more uh, virtual storefronts at the end of the day that you yeah. that you get. You know that um, Amazon has a feature where you can. Um, when it comes to their clothing line of stuff, uh-huh. the, it's called wardrobe, and you can actually um, get the piece of wardrobe for five for like five seven days to try it on, and then if you like it, you can actually physically you can buy it at that particular point, um, or return it back because you say, oh well, this didn't fit me, okay, or I didn't so, like it. So, so one of the potential uses for um, the space along reduced uh, roadways is also. Um, kiosks mm-hmm. so that you're not having things delivered to your doorstep and porch porch pirates are, are famous now oh yeah no, no. that's uh, a huge thing for us at the south american rainforest yeah so so you have delivery stations um for a block and and you have uh the kiosk with the number and the keypad which is occasionally what i do if i have something more expensive delivered by amazon i'm having it delivered to to my safeway store uh the kiosk out in front Oh no! Yeah, when I have uh, when I have stuff that I need to uh, when I have more expensive stuff that I get sent to me, I'll typically either um, either pick it up at the warehouse because the warehouses now have uh, hubs at them in a lot of yeah. cases, so you can pick it up from there, um, or I'll have it dropped off at one of the local. Uh, again, when I worked at the hotel, the easiest thing in the world was to just send everything to the hub that was just like. A block away from where I park, you know, two blocks away from the hotel, um, and so I could literally go there and pick it up from there and know I had, you know, whatever 
expensive thing I had in there, you know, in hand and take it back um, to my apartment. I mean, famously, again, so when I got the HTC Vive here, you know, it's a $600, $700 kit at the end of the yeah. day. Uh, and rather than have it delivered to my door when I was deeply afraid somebody might, you know, you know, Pick grab, it. Ba- yeah. grab it here because I famously had a, had a version, had it. I had a time one time where I had a huge box for Christmas that had, admittingly had some stuffed toys in it and stuff for yeah. other people, but buried inside of there was my two terabyte um, solid state hard drive. Yeah. You know, which, you know, cost some money back, you know, in three, three years, years ago. ago. Yeah. And when I got home, the box was, you know, slightly cracked open. Started, some of the packaging had been ripped open and I was like, well, never again are we doing this. So. Well, and, and I, I famously had, um, ordered gift cards for a, a program I do for um, uh, foster children at Christmas and I had in, in, in Yay Target, I'll tell this story just because Yay Target um, I had um, uh, $500 and $25 gift cards um, delivered to my house and um, and they were in a FedEx envelope and they were taken and um and Target Target replaced them. Target told me that they were used. Um, Target told me that they were used within um, thirty minutes of them be, of them being delivered. So whoever it was was following the FedEx truck and just took whatever was there and went, oh top, damn, and got five hundred dollars worth of gift cards. And um, and Target replaced them when Target understood what they were being used for. They verified with uh, the code appointed social advocates. Mm-hmm that I was involved in that program and they replaced them. Yeah. And, 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 and that's, and that's good on target. And that's good on target. And, and I went down and picked them up at, at the local store. Um, and, and they were terrific yeah. uh, about it. But, um, but yeah, um, the only, that's the only time I've ever lost anything to a porch pirate pirate. But, um, but yeah, it's, I, it's an issue. I've been thankful I haven't had anything yet. Yeah, from a porch pirate, but I always worry about it, especially with yeah. big. Oh, you see it on next door all the time. Yeah, or in, or especially again with like, well, at least with Amazon related stuff that I can buy, that I can purchase through Amazon. I can have it left at a Dropbox or go pick it up yeah. from uh, the facilities at least, because I mean I'm I'm there once a well, once a day, every every day essentially. I'm at a different site, but um, I worry for others, other distributors. You know, like when I go to get stuff from. Uh, Blizzard, as an example, it's just a box that gets left on my door, and God forbid FedEx. Um, famously, again, when I got my when I got my uh, 50-inch television here, I waited at home because I was so deeply afraid that when they delivered it, um, I would that like I'd come back, you know, in the day and come to get it, and it wouldn't be there because again, it's a TV box. It's yeah. not like it's hiding what's in the box. Well, and it and so it surprises me because you live in a fairly large complex, and I know um, your brother just bought a house in a new complex. Um, it surprises me that there aren't more universal services. What's being envisioned and, and discussed? Because I've actually um, sat in on on some um, discussions um, regarding uh, public works and and how these things will be handled. And uh, one of the discuss, you know, the discussion is that you have. Uh, universal uh, pickup places pickup places that would take it anything and what you get is you get a numbered kiosk much like when you go to, to one of the Amazon ones that I've been to mm-hmm. um, and you'll get a number code and you'll be able to cl- open the door for that kiosk and the kiosk could be properly sized for 
what it is you're having delivered. But these would be universal and available to any service. Now again, some of the and they'd be and, and they'd be charged as part of your property tax. Mm -hmm. And now, mind you, some of the now because I'm considering moving here, a couple of the apartments I've gone to, have visited here have you know um, just one place I went to here just has literally banks and banks of Amazon drop boxes. Yeah. And therefore, again, the, what is a rather large uh, you know apartment complex system that's going on there, but there's just literally rows and rows and rows, and again. When I was there uh, touring, uh, no fewer than three Amazon drivers came up to drop off packages, which I thought was hilarious because you could have had just the one do it. Yeah, it looks, looks pretty inefficient. Yeah, it was just like, this is the second van here? Really? Like, we could, you know, I'll, I'll talk, I know who to talk to about that, oddly enough. Yeah. Um, so. Well, so, so, so automation will change so much of how the world looks, mm -hmm. and in a pretty short period of time. Oh, absolutely. Again, I mean, I mean how far do you think think uh, self driving vehicles are away? Again, fifty years. You really think that long? I think part of the. If, if, I I want them sooner because I don't I don't want to have to own a car in retirement. I don't disagree. I mean, it, I see us going down to one quite easily. I, I see us being fully automated in cars in fifty years, but I see them coming out within the next ten fifteen. I think I think part of the problem will be there will be this. Um, Desire potentially maybe is the right is the right word or not, um, or maybe it's going to be. I think part of the initial concern will be uh, the price for entry to uh, the barrier to into entry. They're going to have to be either the same cost as cars that we have right now, or there'll be features that are built that are going to be built into our cars. Um, but uh, you know, ele electric cars are slightly more because you have two engines, or hybrid cars certainly are, mm -hmm. uh, because you do have two engines. Yeah. And yet, and yet, you and I both met that barrier. Now, mind you, both of us have met that barrier here as well. Have met that barrier here at the end of the day. But I still do think that um, I, the self-driving elements of the cars again, it's got to be one of these things where like because they'll be more fuel efficient. They're going to be a more fuel efficient, but everyone's got to be on board for them to be fuel efficient. You, or, you know, or they're going to be entirely electric. I, I, I would presume. I would imagine probably more in the electric space here. Yeah. Like, but that leads to another interesting question here. There's an infrastructure question into that as the well. Grid. Like how do you how do you build in? Because again, right now my favorite technology right now is uh, uh, QR charge, where you just drop your phone on a charging pad. You never have to connect it to an actual port at all, and it charges it. And again, my favorite part is here through the freaking case. Okay, so so and I I have I have I have a, a charging pad. You you yeah. bought it for me for. For Christmas, Christmas yeah. yeah. Um, and now, I, now that technology can be scaled up, I think, toward cars here at the end of the day, too, especially if, you know, we, we can eliminate speed bumps now because we all know the cars will be moving faster. So you can keep the cars a lot lower onto the ground, even. Yeah. Uh, so you could have, again, I think you could do the QR um, stuff on a vehicle here relatively easily, too. Uh, I... I think there's an infrastructure thing that'll need to be put into place because again, when you get to more rural areas, you know, like who installs that QR charging onto those elements, and you know, in, if it's not on all the elements here, like, is it only on certain parts of the road after a certain point? Well, I mean, I charge think, up after a period, maybe. And that's back to the old comment. It used to be, I, I uh, knew somebody who had one of the early Teslas who referred to to it as their Stressla. 
because they said if you're going from on I-5, which is a um, an interstate in California that mm-hmm. goes from Washington State, it goes from border to border. Yes. Um, if you're on I-5, which has long stretches in the middle of nowhere. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, and you're in a Tesla, you have to calculate ahead of time and know where you're going to stop because you need to know that you can charge it there. And you need to be willing to sit down and have a nice, you know, leisurely meal mm-hmm. while your car is recharging. Yeah. And, that, and it changes. And it, that could be a charge of you know, an hour, two hours even to get that full charge back. And that's two hours out of the day that you would not otherwise be driving. Well, and his point was it takes it takes the, the seven hour drive to Palm Springs and turns it into a nine hour drive. Mm-hmm. And um, and I don't know that I'd want to, to endure that. But like most things, I think it will be something that hits cities first. And this again goes to, to my experience driving down um, I-80 mm-hmm. from, from uh, Santa, drove from San Jose to um, Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And um, it's very rural. The towns are very small. Um, the first large town you get to is Omaha. I mean, and that, well, you, go through, you, you bypass Salt Lake, so maybe it's Salt Lake, but there's nothing between Salt Lake and Omaha. And then, and then, and then you know, once you get through there, you get to Chicago and, and you drive around Chicago. But um, until you get really to Omaha, because then you get to Des Moines, mm-hmm. um, you are in the middle of nowhere. And and the only towns are, are fast food and gas stations. And there's no way you're charging, I don't think, at any of those. Um, the hotels don't have chargers. Um, I was surprised by that. So... Um, well, again, there's a barrier to I, entry to get into getting those chargers. I mean, even well, my we're hotel, forced we're, we're forced to have them. Um, well, now now we do, but again, if you're, I mean, if you're an existing property, yeah, yeah, but you're grandfather. You might be grandfathered into it, but again, I mean, like there's also, I think here in California, we're a lot more progressive in the in that in that area potentially, or even just our county in that in that area. I don't think that's necessarily in the rural areas, and I don't and I don't disagree that I think it's going to be. Um, it's going to be urban. It's, it's going to be primarily urban to start with, and I think it eventually will trickle outward into the more rural areas yeah. over time. Yeah. Um, famously, I, I, there's a guy I follow on YouTube called The 8-Bit Guy who reviews, uh, who re- refurbishes and restores old 8-bit computers from the, 70, from the 70s and 80s and early 90s. So old 80s? Um, well, IBM Ca- AT was huge. Casios, um, Pets. A what was the, What was the Tandy thing? They did. Ta- he has some Tandys there as well. Um, it's I a cool, remember that. It's a cool channel because um, he goes through the process of um, not only putting them back together, but also like history lessons. Uh, apparently, somewhere in Texas, there is this warehouse building that's full of nothing but old discarded computers that anybody can rifle through and pick through because they're just the oldest computers that are just kind of like it's like a tornado happened and all these computers and all these old computers in their boxes in some cases are just there some of them work some of them don't but because they're just like this warehouse full of old 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 computers well have you ever been to the computer history museum over on um it's in mountain view yes i have Um, okay yeah that's a cool place too that's a cool place and it's got some of that now, mind you, we're here in Silicon Valley, Valley so like yeah. we, you know, we're very, you know, like I, I can remember telling people, it was like, yeah, I drove by the Apple campus all the time when I went up to certain places. 
I actually look out my, I'm out my window at Adobe. Mm-hmm. Adobe's world headquarters, which is four towers. And they're, well, they're building another tower right next to you right now, too. That, that, that is ours. So. Yeah. Um, we used to have a racquet. We used to own a racquetball court there. Are they going to put another sky bridge over to that? Yes. Well? Yeah. That was actually one of the big parts of the negotiation with Adobe um, was the, the sky bridge because they have sky bridges between their buildings now. Yeah. Um, and um, the sky bridge across San Fernando Boulevard. Um, and it's actually two, it's two, um, it covers two floors, yes. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I'm, I'm drawing with my, my fingers, um, like you can see. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, yeah, it spans two floors and it will go between the two buildings. Mm-hmm. It'll go over the park. There's a little park. I know. Well, they're keeping the park? They're keeping the park. They are required to keep the park. The park um, is relocated some original and, and re- relocated uh, Ohlone Indian uh, burials. Ah, oh. oh, okay. So the so the park the park stays. It's a children's park. Um, originally, I think at one time there was discussion of it being used um, to supplement daycare, but um, it really can't be because there's a fair a fair amount of pe- of, of unhomed people there. Yes, this is very true as well. So. So yeah, yeah. Um, robots is really actually what it sounds like to us is the is we the, go by eBay all the time too. Oh, so again, so robots for us is really kind of the discussion of more or less automation for us here in real yeah. life. But yeah, um, in fiction, however, robots are cool. Robots are very cool. Um, now again, when we have robots, they're almost entirely in science fiction. Get them occasionally instead of like Renaissance or fantasy affair but not commonly at all um or if you do they're powered by like steam or some sort of mechanical element here at the end of the day so you don't get in, primarily in science fiction and less so in fantasy and steampunk wow 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 west seemed i think had a, a yeah yeah a, yeah with the one with will steam, smith yeah, yeah like, that was a that had was a, a movie had a steampunk uh a giant steampunk giant robot robot spider yeah um yeah again they can appear in steampunk but they're not typical but i think they probably appear more steampunkish sort of stuff in a lot more as of recent less robots and more robotic elements like again famously uh, full metal alchemist mm-hmm. his entire right arm is robotic um yep. at the end of the day auto mail um but it's less of a computer guiding and more of a human guiding it at the end of the day yeah so, uh, but we think of robots as um, basically kind of on their own in most cases when it comes to sci-fi. Um, they're pre-programmed with data and they automate from there. Sometimes they're lifelike and humanish in a lot of cases, or in other cases they're all but human in in name only, or they're all they're all but robot in name only. So like they're pretty much all the C three PO element here at the end of the day. Yeah. Where like they're basically human if they weren't encased in metal. Yeah. And in, in famously, again, you have um, data from Star Trek, you know, which, again, ha, ha, if his skin was a if his skin was a little bit more um, flesh tone and his eyes were more humanish looking, you'd be hard pressed to realize that this is a robot outside of his mannerisms. Which well, and you have the you have the questions raised by Seven of Nine, which is or which one at least. Oh, okay. So, so at what point are you human, and at what point are you machine? Machine. True. Yes. There's um, 
one of my favorite stories is Ghost in the Shell because um, so Ghost in the Shell is this future world where um, cyberization, which is the art of uh, replacing your human body parts with organ with uh, ma- ma- machine parts at the end of the day, mm-hmm. um, has become such a big deal that people encase their entire brains uh, or even have elements of their brains um, cyberized and encased in cybernetics at the end of the day. So you might have a person's, you know, brain encased in a um, cybernetic shell that you can, like, literally plug into another body if necessary. So your spirit goes on. Well, and then that, and that's part of the question here at the end of the day, too, is that um, literally the ghost in the shell is this notion of do you have a spirit at the end of the day if you are purely a robotic uh, cybernetic sort of individual here? Do you have, are you actually a free-flowing conscious or are you a... Um, you know? It has all your traits, but is it really you? Yeah, and, and again, and, and that's and that's part of the question here. They they ask themselves, you know, do I have a, um, do I have a, what they call a ghost at the end of the day? Because again, it's the ghost in the shell. Yeah, um, and a lot of the interesting, interesting concept. Yeah, and so and a lot of that, a lot of their, um, and while the story is primarily um, was a manga that was basically diverges into a couple different st- major arcs. Uh, famously, the most popular version that we know of it is the um early 2000s ghost in the shell um what they called the standalone complex which was a series of events um in the ghost in the shell universe but a lot of their just like ancillary sort of side talk is a lot of philosophy on robots and even there's a series of robots um that are called the tachikomas which is these purple or which are these big blue tankish sort of creatures that are like spiders at the end of the day, who have these long, drawn-out conversations on their own humanity at the end of the day. It's like, are we real or are we not real? Because I know what you did and you know what I did, and but we're all slightly individualized as well. And do we have ghosts at the end of the day? Because we are top-down AI at the end of the day, but are we real or are we not real? Then they Again, those are lo- questions that come up all the time so much as that it, at a certain point in the, th- in the events here they purposely kick out a guy who's actually a flesh and born human uh-huh. out of the group because they know that what was going to happen was going to cause you know was a lot of destruction and that if he was in the middle of it he could get you know he could get killed because he's not uh, cyberized as the rest of them versus them if they get hurt they can kind of replace their body parts or move on to another body here relatively quick, relatively easily and be able to move around um, as necessary. Well, I think one of the most interesting discussions I ever saw on this, and I think it's interesting that, that um, science fiction is already grappling with some of the questions that this will ask us. Mm-hmm. Um, because we can foresee some of the dangers that we have here. But um, the episode where um, Data decides he'd like to have a child. Mm-hmm. And, and he goes about building himself a child. child yeah and um, because he'd like to have the fulfillment of that experience it doesn't end well no um, but it, it it asks a lot of, of I think really meaningful questions yeah and um, again, a lot of the stories here in about robots um, now, there's a couple of, like, major robotic kind of protagonists here. We've got to remember that there's a lot of robots that are not necessarily sentient life forms at the end of the day and recognize that they're in, 
either they recognize they're not sentient life forms or don't care that they aren't that they aren't recognized life forms. So you have, um, like I said before, you have robots, but fundamentally humans at the end of the day. Uh, again, these are like I think like your C three POs at the end of the day, mm-hmm. or um, some. Um, the one I like to think of is the Bicentennial Man with Robin Williams, where again, yeah. like it, it developed, you know, it's a robot that it originally was just designed to be a servant, but literally develops into a human, eventually becomes like a human at the end of the day, um, save for being a robot in name only. Um, then you also have like what we would consider like your top-down AIs, you know, and these are, again, I think more closer to like a C-3PO where like it's an AI that recognizes that it's a robot, um, but still does stuff for other people. Um, I think you have your mixture of both human and machines, where these are uh, machines that have uh, learned humanist aspects to them. At the end of the day, um, I think the I think an example of that is like the Terminator. Oh, because if you think about the Terminator, it's really just a robot that's just kind of trying to act human and does it in a very obviously you know poor way for what we would yeah. consider but if yeah. you're not paying close attention to it, you're like oh, it was a human right it was a person it begs the question yeah and yeah. then and then obviously there's your total robots my favorite example of a total robot um is uh baymax from big hero six ah and what's interesting about that here is that at the end of the day here he is um a pure robot and just responding to other people here but because of his uh, design, actually, and the way he says some stuff here, you tend to think like he is actually hum- that he is almost you know sentient at the end of the day. As an example here, um, after uh, there's a scene where um, another character dies, and the robot, you know, Baymax is trying to tell him, no, uh, no, uh, Tadashi is here, and you you think about it, and it's like. You're trying to say that he's in you, that he's always with us, you know, side of that. And then Baymax later goes to confirm. It's like, no, I have video footage of him in in me, and I can show you. So Tadashi is he's here, here in me. me. Yeah. You know, quite literally is what he meant for it. Um, and so, and actually in, in our case here, uh, Big Hero 6 and Bicentennial Man are going to be a part of our homework. Oh, very good. So, okay. um, Bicentennial, so again, Big Hero 6 will be available on Disney+. Plus. Uh, Bicentennial Man, I couldn't find anywhere where it's available, but it, again, it's on YouTube for like, I think three bucks at this point. Okay. So it's not like the end of the world necessarily, but I know Big Hero 6 is on Disney Plus. Uh, but then you also have, um, but again, yeah, so you have like your total robots. You also, I think that's also HAL 9000 as well, for probably is the total, is just a pure robot at the end of the day. Uh-huh. Um, uh huh. What I was just looking up Wall-E because that's a that's another one that that was another one I considered at the end of the day. Um, that's a pure robot. I actually think it's you probably get. Um, I think it's more. I think you get closer to like a top tier AI because at a certain point here, or or rather, or maybe even a mixture of human and machine. Because again, it's still very much a machine that's going through everything. Yeah. But it's got a lot of human characteristics Qualities, to it that yeah. that, it, that it's learned over time. Um, from being, I guess, isolated by itself for 600 plus years, that it's yeah. eventually like evolved past its original programming. And even in when you get to um, even some of the other robots, you know, like they're robots at the end of the day, but they have a lot more human characteristics, I think, learned um, by them at the end of the day. Yeah. 
Okay. So again, and again, Wally was another movie I thought would be an interesting robot movie, but it, um, but I don't necessarily know if it questions robots at the end of the day quite so much as like, um, and I think other movies do it a little bit better. Yeah. No. No. So, no. Um, both both are good choices. So one of the things we do have to talk about, we've would you, we've we've talked about it a little bit before, but we've we kind of got to talk about when it comes to robots, especially in fiction, um, because you have robots that don't look like robots. Because if you go to R two D two, you know that's a trash can with wheels. Yeah. Um, and then you get to the Terminator and. That's Arnold Schwarzenegger at the end of the day, who yeah. is a human playing a robot at the end of the day. Um, and where do we draw the line at the end of the day um, from what looks cool and what isn't cool? And there was a... Um, um, I forget what the guy's name is. I know his first name is Mori. Mori Miyamori or something like that. Um, I'll have it in my notes here Lex, Nick, for next time. Um, but... Um, he liked to build robots, and as a result of making his robots, he wanted to make his. When, when he made his initial robots, everyone liked them because they looked, because um, they looked like robots. But eventually, he started making more human-looking robots, and people were terrified of those. People were, were revolting of those. They didn't like that. Um, but then, after a certain point, he kept making his robots and perfecting it, um, and getting to be more sophisticated. And people started liking him again. And um, the way this is kind of shown is kind of like by an inverse bell curve at the end of the day. Uh-huh. So um, if you have an X and Y axis here, um, where your X where your X axis is you know realism and your Y axis is uh, likability here, um, you start off with something that's not very human that actually has a high likability to it, and then that curves downward until it actually goes under the X axis into being disliked. Um, because it's becoming too realistic. And then after a certain point, the gra- the line actually keeps going back up, um, positive uh, for for liking it above the x-axis again. And as it gets more and more uh, realistic, actually, we start to like it again. And he dubbed this the dubbed this phenomenon or this theory the uncanny valley. So so run me through this again. Okay, so I totally get that that there's a point where it becomes a little creepy. Yes. Okay. And and it crosses that point. I would I would imagine where it becomes something where it, it starts getting hard to tell what's what is and what isn't. Although people like data, mm-hmm. and I would think data is probably that little creepy thing. There's a, I mean, it was originally when we when he, when he was studying it, it was more of a um, aspect sort of thing here, like more based off looks than necessary characteristics of the robot of the robots. But eventually, uh-huh. you know, like. We could say it probably includes elements of the robot as well. Um, and now, when it's on, when it's not very realistic at the end of the day, we actually, in our minds, um, it's theorized in our minds that we recognize that it's not real, so we give it a little bit of a credit at the end of the day for it trying to be human, and we see its human characteristics a lot more clearly than we would necessarily um, its robotic characteristics, you know? Um, so I think in the case of, like, R2-D2... We recognize that this is not a very human character. This is a robot at the end of the day, but we can certainly He's see bold. that. It's, or, or it's C-3PO. Oh, sorry. So, but if yeah. we, or if we look at C-3PO, like this is a character that clearly has um, a personality to him. It's like the uptight butler, you know, like 
he can walk around and look how cool he looks when he moves around and he's all gold and shiny and he's a protocol droid so oh my goodness he's in a fight and how dare he they put him in a fight he's not yeah. meant to be in a fight at all like we kind of start to empathize with it a little bit because we see the human qualities and characteristics in it and we can appreciate that because we can empathize with something that's that's human at the end of the day and i think a lot of that is also us putting a lot more human qualities onto the person at the end of the day um rather than um them actually even being but he there. doesn't move i think if he he do, he doesn't move like a human he's stilted yes um which i think adds to his his like charm a, yeah yeah and now mind you if he had started moving a lot more human like at the end of the day that might be a little bit more weirder potentially well it's a little bit like aliens we we really want our aliens to look like aliens depending on we who you, we want our aliens to not look like us but we want them to still look enough like us enough like us that we are like oh my goodness we're not we're not the weird looking we, thing we, in the world we can understand what it is yeah um, another great example I put to this is uh, the hunter droid in uh, Mandalorian yes you know yeah. like there is a lot of you know somewhat human characteristics in two, it two arms two legs yep it's a humanoid sort of form and shape. Has eyes. But not in the same configuration necessarily. It's way too thin. The arms are too, like, stickish at the end of the day. Again, it doesn't move in a human-like way. No, even when it shoots again. I love that scene when it shoots. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not normal, but we see a lot of the human characteristics of it, especially when, he, when it's like, you know, when it's talking to the Mandalorian, like, it's this cold and logical sort of thing, but, like, no, I see Spock there. I, I, I recognize Spock. That's very true because Mandalorian is able to negotiate with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so we see the human... We impart the human characteristics onto the robot, and as a result of imparting it onto it, we're like, oh, yeah, it's a robot, but, like, it's a cool robot because it's, like, human and everything. And so that's the first part of the curve in which we're not necessarily very realistic, um, but that we're still... Uh, but we still have very high likability. It's also why, like, I like the movie Robots at the end of the day, uh -huh. um, which is a horrible CGI movie. Even though it does have Robin Williams in it, it's still a horrible CGI movie. But all the robots in there look really kind of humanish at the end of the day because all because you they they have all the same form of a human, but you can clearly see where the eyes are, where nose and mouths are, and you can clearly see how. They're robots at the end of the day, and you can see, clearly see that they're acting like robots or humans in everything but the fact that they're robots at the end of the day. Yeah. But they're all very likable-looking robots at the end of the day, too. But then you get to the point where it starts getting too realistic. And so these are, I think, um, some of the very early versions of... Um, now, and, and now, and this is not necessarily everyone's cup of tea here that I'll say this here... Um, the Hall of Presidents at Disneyland, those things are very uncanny. They're creepy. Yeah. Uh, even wax even wax, um, wax uh, figures at the end of the day are kind of creepy because, like, and there's a reason for that, is that we as humans know what other humans look like. We know what, what, what should, what, what what it should, should be, be there. and what it's not there, and we can easily recognize when something doesn't look right. Right. Um now instinctively instinctively yeah and almost i think it's a flight or flight sort of instance here where we recognize when something doesn't look right because we have experienced that in the past of it not looking right um 
like when I know I know when I see a um, when I see what you know as an example here we'll go back to the wax sculptures because I think that's here I know what a human looks like and I know what that person looks like as an example that the wax sculpture sculpture is trying to be and when it doesn't look like who it's supposed to look like that bothers me yeah you know instinctively it bothers me because like I know what the rock looks like that doesn't look like the rock yeah um and even from a in, in I think even in a more um you know subconscious way I mean like when things don't look right to us we get you know we get very uh skeptical and we get very kind of alert we get put on alert because we're like something's not right I can't quite put my foot on it but I need to be careful with this now yeah and so that's I think what's kind of happening with some of these very early robots that started taking on more um, overt human characteristics such as now again like data from a certain standpoint here looks very uncanny because of his grayed skin his perfect hair the eyes you know his, his mannerisms are slightly off yeah it's very stilted stoic yeah. sort of individualism um and I think that speaks to a lot of why it doesn't, why that could be considered in, as a part of the uncanny valley here in a lot of ways, because it's to a point where it's so realistic that it's not really human because we see the faults in it. Yeah. Uh, and I think because we can see the faults in it, that we're unnerved by it. Yeah. Um, it's part of the reason here why when you go to see a scary movie at the end of the day, that you don't like when you go to see aliens you rarely ever saw the alien all you ever saw was like a tail or a hand or yeah. or you saw just like a, a fading glimpse of it you know and you were terrified of it because you didn't you know what it was yes, at yeah. all and and again the second you start actually seeing what the alien looks like it's still terrifying but you're not as terrified anymore because you have a better understanding uh, you, of what the threat is? You have a, Well, not so much you have a better understanding of what the threat is, but you can actually see what it is now, and you actually can start... Because, again, when you can't see it, you, have, it. Yeah. you can't deal with it. You have no clue what, what the fault is at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, but the second you see it here, you're a lot more, okay, now I know what it looks like. I kind of have an idea what it does. I can actually start rationalizing what I'm going to do here. I think it's the notion of I don't know what to do. I can't take action. Yeah, if I can't take action, I don't know what to do. That's where that um, discount, you know, that's where that, um, you know, being af becoming afraid of it and being, you know, put off by it comes from. Um, but then you, at a certain point, you get to being more realistic um, to the point that it becomes... Um, difficult to to see the faults in some cases and it's become so sophisticated that it looks real um, i often actually relate this less to robotics and actually can somewhat relate this to cgi in movies well that's a good point because when you think about it from you if we go back to the very early uh, again as a good example here look at the original toy story right those humans in that in that movie are hideous they look, they are so off-putting when you see them. It's like, oh my goodness, Andy looks like a freak of nature. The bully next door, holy crap, this guy is ugly. But you kind of accept it a little bit because it's a cartoon and cartoons don't look, aren't meant to look, look real. real. Yeah. Like you can kind of excuse it a little bit. We'll jump forward to Toy Story 3 and 
oh wow, these you know I like the way Andy looks, and I like the yeah. way everybody else looks, and I'm buzzing what he looked like. They got better looking too. Yeah, you know, like you see a lot more of that um, in them here, and I think that's a, um, and I think that's very much certainly true of early CGI. Is that when we look at very early CGI, it doesn't look right. I mean, like it's re- off. Remember when we saw Jurassic Park? Yeah, those dinosaurs look amazing. Yeah. But if we were to go watch it now as an example, we would look at those dinosaurs and just be like, "Oh man, these don't look right." These they... Because we've been because we've seen Because we've seen better, better and we've yeah. seen more sophisticated stuff here. And even um if you want to go even a step further here, um I take you back to Rogue One when they have General yeah. Tarkin there and that looks pretty good. But a lot of people, especially for General Tarkin or Grand Moff Tarkin and even Leia in that movie, there's a lot of people who didn't like those movies because they those of those. Leia is off putting. Yes. Now I don't. Now I disagree. I think Leia looked perfectly fine to me. Oh, I I was very I found that very off putting. Yeah. The eyes didn't just. The eyes didn't look right. I, I, I can see it kind of in the eyes. There's this like. It looks kind of off to the distance, which doesn't look normalish in some ways. But like I'm, for what it was when it first got introduced, I'm perfectly fine with it, and I think they've only gotten better with it over time. I mean, yeah, you go to look at um, Captain Marvel as an example. They literally took Samuel L. Jackson and reversed age him by like thirty years. Oh, and years. he looks great. He looks amazing in that movie. Yeah, I was I was so impressed. Yeah, but again, I mean, the, the character that you know. They had to go in and CGI'd his face to uh, de-age him here at the end of the day. Smooth out those wrinkles. Smooth out those wrinkles, clear up some of the lines, but it's the same actor doing all the same stuff, doing yeah. all the work here for the most part. I thought, I, because if you didn't know, you wouldn't know. No. You would have thought that was shot in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and again, I mean, and that's, and that's you know, this great example here where, um, again, CGI has evolved to a certain point here where, like, you're not seeing the the faults necessarily quite so easily and as a result not seeing the faults quite so easily your brain is more accepting of it because it's you know yeah that's what it should look like Like, yeah and your brain is willing to accept it here now again i still think grand moff tarkin again the way it moves that the way the so keep so when they did grab moff tarkin they literally got his grandson to stand in for him and they CGI'd his face over um, the grandson's face here at the end of the day to give the impression of Grand Moff Tarkin. Now, it's not perfect by any particular level, and there's certainly a large way. It, it looks it looks amazing in stills, but yeah. the second it starts moving, you start noticing that it's not right. Yeah. Um, and I think in a lot of cases here, it's going to get a lot closer to that over time that we're going to get more sophisticated so that you won't be well, able to tell. Will that ruin um, watching older versions of movies? Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, I, there's a lot of movies where we say they don't age well because they, you know, they don't. Because things have, have because they don't find like I find like like Star Wars. I for me, mm-hmm. so Episode Four, ages well. Yes, I I think it. it I think good, um, see, I, not necessarily CGI, but good special effects. And again, especially even knowing those were done with models and mm-hmm. yeah, but they still. But again, like you, I, I wonder. If part of that is is do we accept it because of that's nostalgia that's telling us that this is really cool, or Could be. or do we accept it because like 
we didn't know any better at the time. Now, and now, my and clearly we've gone back in and we've added a lot of CGI. Oh, to I the, I hate in in episode six that they they changed out uh, the, the uh, Anakin. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm a little upset with that too. Um, I liked it better being the older guy as well. Yeah. Um, Darth Vader. Well, again, if you go back to episode, if you go back to uh, uh, the Empire Strikes Back here, like they replaced the Emperor as well. Yeah. You know, I was like, uh, I say leave it as is. I mean, like, do you do you get to the point where you replace, you know, the guy in the suit who did Darth Vader here as well with, you know, an older Anakin? And eventually, do you, you know, do, re- do you replace the? No, 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 no. no. Yeah. No, I mean, again, I mean, the curiosities of what is CGI here at the end of the day. But again, I mean, I, there's a lot of movies which we say don't age well um, in their graphics department. Again, how how unsettling is it for you to see something that's in a um, 4 by 3 a, a ratio versus a 16 by 9 ratio with a letterboxing on the side? Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, like I watch stuff now. I watch older anime and I, you know, I'm watching it and being like, Man, there's a lot of dead space on the side of the windows here versus yeah. like when I watch newer stuff, it's like, oh good, it fills the entire screen. Yeah. Like it's off it's it's kind of it's not unsettling, but it's kinda of like, Oh, I know I'm watching something older. And, and yeah. classically some movies have actually played this up. So um there was a Wizard of Oz um movie here, um the like that, a sequel, prequel. It's like a prequel sort of thing. Um, uh, how the witch got evil. Yeah, how the witches all got kind of got evil yeah. here. Because again, remember that there's three witches. There's a good right. witch. There's the you know, the evil witch, and then there's another witch that just got crushed at one point with her ruby yeah. slippers. Um, and um, when it starts off, it starts off in this uh, four by three. At, you know, this um, this um, you know box shaped you know aspect it is four by three aspect um and as they transition to the world of oz the screen actually stretches out and becomes the full uh 16 by 9 aspect so you actually get this much wider uh field of view here at the end so they've used it much like like some movies will film in black and white to sort of to give it that i mean again wandavision had that quality of they literally went in and gave everything a black and white scale and actually um, they colorize it in the middle. In the color, and they colorize it partly in the middle, yeah. and everything moves. I mean, and there's a little bit of fuzziness that you feel that should be there almost as well, but it still looks very clean and like a yeah. like, like it's been cleaned up. Yeah. Because um, I know when I watch older stuff here, like there's a little bit of blur that kind of happens with the movement. It's it's a lot like like what music has done with with remastering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, which is. Um, which again, again, very interesting here from from that particular aspect. But again, the Uncanny Valley is this um, this very interesting notion, I think, at the end of the day, when it comes to that. Yeah. Um, so, what are some common? Um, so again, like we were saying before, we were trying to discuss this efficacy of robots here, uh, and I think there's a couple ones that come up a lot in stories that revolve heavily around robots. Now, uh-huh. I'm not counting necessarily like. Uh, Star Wars is a is a film that heavily revolves around robots, but I will kind of, um, you know, think I think of again like Wally, or I throw I think of uh, um, Robbie the robot from Forbidden Planet. Uh-huh. I think of Optimus Prime. I think of um, 
Johnny Five from Short Circuit. Oh, it's such a great movie, and the, just the puppeteering on those on those robots alone was amazing. Um, you know, I think of things like this here, and those these stories that heavily do revolve around robots, um, in some cases here, and I think that the questions you were asking beforehand are very interesting. Again, there's a lot of stories that talk about uh, robot AI versus sentience. Yeah. You know, at what point are robots uh, humans at the end of the day versus um, not being human? Or, or at what point do they become human um, that we respect them? And there's an interesting sort of um, weird as that, as, um, aspect to all of this here that rarely gets discussed. And it's that um, when you look at robots from a certain perspective here, it's an issue with coding of how we are coding these robots. Um, by I me, mean by coding is what are we um, portraying onto these robots that are qualities that they are missing, and what do we see those in in other people? So again, um, like, what do we consider sentience at the end of the day? Is that you know that you care about certain types of people, or that you have certain mannerisms, or you have certain ideals, even? Um, or do you have uh, do you have enough ideals at the end of the day um, that warrant you to be do not be a tool or a robot do you, well, anymore? Well, do you have morality? Yeah, or or and or what level of morality? Well, you know? there's a difference between programmed reality, morality and learned morality. Reality, yeah, yeah, and but again, I mean, like, do you is that something that's programmed into robots, or is that something that they develop on their own? Um, a lot of these topics sometimes when it's all about robots in and of themselves is a lot about um unfortunately analogs to what is our own real own real world now not a robot movie on any particular level but there is a um movie called bright which is on netflix it's horrible okay it's it's god awful and one of the major one of the real problems with it is it's just it's so full of story editing holes no there was no screenwriter for it which okay. is interesting. So they came up with a script, but nobody, but they didn't have anybody actually come in to actually double check it and fine tune it to make it work into a story. So there's plot holes throughout the entire movie. Uh, but one of the things a lot of people don't like about the movie here is that um, basically it's like what it's the movie is basically like what would happen if all those fantasy fantasy elements grew up along with us. So like you have fairies, but fairies are more like pests in the yard. Um, orcs are you have orcs all uh, that kind of live in the city as well but the orcs are um, kind of like um, best described as like you know gang members almost like very overtly racial racist sort of like caricatures of what would be African Americans in gangs um, Ooh. yeah and and it's it's very confusing to a lot of people here. There's a there's a great video essay by a person named Lindsay Ellis. I highly rec recommend her stuff for anybody anyways. Um, she has like a good like hour-long diatribe into this movie as far as the coding of these orcs at the end of the day and the way that, you know, but like Tolkien and other people do this as well. When you get to Tolkien, um, you have his orcs, um, he described as being Moorish. Oh. And that's true. Well, okay, yeah. And so, um, and they again, like these were the villains because they didn't have the same qualities as us humans that they weren't, 
that they were animalistic and they were they were fearsome and they were more aggressive and they were you know violent sort of stuff here and whether the intention was there or not you know he's taking his allegories from what he sees in real life and imprinting them onto his orcs at the end of the day or his other characters you have to I mean his his belief system yeah and whether yeah. that whether whether that's intentional or not and in some cases i mean like you end up always writing kind of what you know at the end of the day. You rarely yeah. write about stuff that you don't know. Well, you need to give it an adjective that other people can envision. Mm -hmm. And in the time in that time period, that was an ad adjective yeah. that other people could envision. Mm -hmm. And especially, and again, I mean, so a lot of people, um, whether rightfully or not, you know, saw uh, the orcs in Tolkien, you know, kind of being, you know, stereotypical of what was black people back in the day. Because they, you know, or being, perceptions, perceptions of them, yeah, um, and very much the same thing happened in Bright here as well, where the, a lot of the depictions of the orcs as being bad guys just because they did something negatively in the past in in the in that universe here, that they are somehow still being held accountable for all of that, regardless whether they actually, regardless of whether that's the truth or not, and nobody really knows what the truth is because it's thousands of years, a thousand years ago. Um, but it's this play up of, you know, unfortunately at the end of the day, whether it's intentional or not, and again, I don't know whether Tolkien had the intention or not. I don't necessarily uh -huh. know if the people who made Bright or not had this intention, but we as human beings can see something on screen and rationalize, oh, where have I seen that before? Oh, that's how I know where it comes from. Well, and much like on this podcast, we may, we use analogies oh, to yes. help us understand things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because again, I mean, there's going to so be... you're going to try to find something that, that you can... That fits into the mold that you've yeah. had preconceived beforehand. And so yeah. uh, robots in a lot of cases, when it comes to that, is what qualities of being a human are they lacking? Uh, but how are these robots similar to other people that we know? And a lot of the uh, analysis to robots ends up being, um, unfortunately, um, black people in slavery. Because, because there's a lot of robots that are... Because, again, there's a lot of elements of robots that are just like, these are tools. You only use them... You know, these are tools at the end of the day. You don't necessarily treat them as humans because they're not humans. So you can be abusive toward them. You can be, you know... You can well, have think, a lot well, of... Well, I think that's one of the ethical questions we'll end up facing is is we treat these like cars? Mm-hmm. Do we, do we treat them like cars, you know, and... Because I know some people who treat their cars very nicely, and there's other people who treat their cars very poorly. Um, you know, at the end of the day, do we, you know, do we, you know, are they so expensive that we have to take care of them at a certain point? If they're so expensive, you know, and you don't care where they... protect your asset. You know, do you do you really care if this gets damaged like, at the end of the day or not? It's, it's like having your oil changed. Mm -hmm. So some people change their oil right on time every time, and other people wait and, and abuse their cars. And, and I think... I mean, to me, the most common trope in a robot movie mm -hmm. is humanizing the robot. Yes. It is, it is um, finding that the robot is inherently um, sentient or finding that, that the robot has hidden humanity. Most, the most common trope in, in a robot movie is... The robot's almost human. Human, yeah, humanizing the robot. Mm -hmm. I, I clearly, I mean, I, I, 
And oddly enough, I think this is a, is, a, uh, is an interesting example, um, and I would have loved it to be a homework assignment if only it was difficult to find uh-huh. uh, easy easy access to it. But Terminator Two, I think, is a is an interesting movie on robots because um, you have what was previously this Terminator in Arnold Schwarzenegger's character, um, who in the previous movie was purely just out to kill, and now he's a hero in this one. But when he's a hero in this one, it's still vaguely, um, you know, like he has a lot of the characteristics of being a human, but they're very off-putting. They're very sort of weird at the end of the day. They don't seem natural at all. Um, And I think that's interesting from that perspective because, you know, this is how I think robots will start out as. I think robots will start off like Terminators as being very cold and logical and you know, deridden by um, logic at the end of the day. I mean, we can even go a step further and say iRobot, you know, is a good example because yeah. I think in iRobot, the robots make um, calculations as far as what's the best thing to do with everything else going on around them. I mean, we have to remember that robots aren't, are really good at making calculations based off certain parameters, but if they've never interacted with a certain element before, they don't know how to respond to it because they don't know what it even is. It's not part of their programming. Yeah, so they're not good at improvisation, I guess is the best way to say it here. Like, you know, like if we go and... Like if we go to see... If we go to a concert and we see people dancing, you know, we're going to eventually fit our dancing to match, to match what's there versus a robot's going to go back into its logic banks and figure out what's the closest thing to this and do that instead you know so you might have what is classical music playing in the background and the robot might think oh this is a waltz versus everyone else is like no this is just like something else you know because a robot can't improvise the logic at the end of the day it has to actually have it programmed into it yeah it's 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 interesting because i think we feel a need to humanize robots because it makes them feel safer for us and, and 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 we'll watch we'll we'll do the homework and see if that's well, and I think that's very much happening. true and I think that's very much true of when we go back to the uncanny valley that um we have to find something to humanize these robots especially if they're on screen a lot of the time um like at the end of the day here if we were watching Wally and it was just a robot we'd be very um we'd be kind of curious initially but then we'd be kind of like bored after real quickly I think as well it wouldn't be interesting to watch. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I see it in my own everyday life in that, that if I ask Google to do something, I ask. And I do say please. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when I ask it to stop, I, I say thank you. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I remember when I was telling, we were just here, what, last week? Yeah. And I was telling, I was telling Poppy, I was like, you never compliment uh, Google at all? It's like, what? And like I went to went to Google here, and I was like, "Hey Google, thank you for being very very helpful." And Google has a pre planned response for that. Yeah. Um, but it recognizes that it was a um, um, that it was a not a salutations or a greeting, but it was uh, an acknowledgement of its uh, uh, of it at the end of the day. Yeah. And responded accordingly to it. I just think it's, I mean, and, and I don't want to untrain myself to be polite just because it's a machine, because I'm afraid it would untrain me to be polite when it's a human being. And, and again, I mean, and that's part of the growing concern of robots uh, here at the end of the day is that if we know a robot is a robot, but it 
and it doesn't move like a human here do we see it as being you know human at the end of the day versus being just a tool at the end of the day there will be some people that are just going to use their tools um and not care whether they're human or not at the end of the day i mean i think because we've grown around a lot of sci-fi at the end of the day that we will want to have our robots be more human at the end of the day and i think at a certain point here that we will um, because we're going to have our humans being more, or we'll have our robots, excuse me, being more, uh, that we've become a culture to robots, that we're going to treat them a lot nicer initially because we've had that more experience with them. But I worry as we get to later generations, you know, two or three generations skipped from having all this robot media and all this sci-fi stuff in there, that will they see robots as just tools or not versus where we've seen them more like, you know, parts of the house. I, well, I but, know but, okay so it, it begs the question and we can talk about this next time but it begs the question at what point is it not just a machine like my coffee maker mm-hmm. i have a personal relationship with my coffee maker i use it several times a day but i never think it nope don't talk to it don't i don't do that with my car either again you know, i don't like I, you talk know, to my car. I don't i don't I don't have a name for my car. I don't. I don't get upset at my car but when it does certain that's things that's an interesting question i don't have a name for my car but i name my bike you have so it sounds like you have a much more personal relationship with your bike than you do your car. Because I need the bike to cooperate with me. Mm-hmm. I yell at my body all the time. And it's like stop this. Stop. Why are you? Yeah. Why? Why are we? Why are we doing this right here right now? Why? Why? Why is there this ache in my arm? Why didn't it do anything different? What? Why? Why are you doing this to me? My body and I'm me yeah. in my body. Yeah. No, I, I I do the same thing. So. Um, yeah, so it's an interesting question. We feel a need to humanize robots. Mm-hmm. I think in part, we can discuss this next time, but I think it's in part because because um, how we treat robots might affect how we treat other human beings. Yes, very much true. So, so we're going to have, um, so the homework here for this week is threefold. There's going to be three items here. So we're going to be watching um, Big Hero 6, which is a animated Disney movie. Um, mm-hmm. Should be, it's available on Disney+. Plus. So if you've um, been following along with us and you've gotten Disney Plus already, it's available on there. Um, I don't know if it's available on other services because I know Disney kind of ate up a lot of their own original um, stuff here again. So I don't know if it's even available on like a a Google or an Amazon or anything, any of those services necessarily. Okay. Uh, But it's an old enough movie that it's been out there for a while, so it might be easy to find. Um, they were also going to watch a much older movie, uh, circa 1998, which is Bicentennial Man, um, with Robin Williams in it, because mm-hmm. I, well, I will watch anything with Robin Williams in it. I want more stuff with Robin Williams in good, it. Good choice. Um, and then there's a cool little Lego project, um, that I found that's only about like 33 bucks. Okay. Um, and that should be coming in the Amazon here for us, um, within a couple days. So I will provide that to you um, as well. Uh, it looks kind of like Johnny Five. Oh, that could be fun. Yes. Okay. So, um, so again, the links for all those are going to be in our podcast here, so you guys can follow along with the links. But we also have all the show notes as well on our website at thenerdtutorialpodcast.com. And then we also continue our discussions for all of our topics here on our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash podcast. Uh, and if you have any ideas or further questions or any ideas for future topics here, you can drop me a line at nerd underscore tutorial on Twitter and let me know where we also follow a lot of our older topics as well on there. 
And on behalf of myself and my mom, we hope you guys stay safe out there in these weird times. And we'll see you guys again next time. Bye.